This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the No and Ever podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and it's an awards special to mark the end of the season. Joining me are James, Natalie and Kevin to go through a number of categories that we've had you voting for over the last couple of days as well. About 800 of you have contributed to these awards, so thank you very much for joining in. And we're going to have a popular vote award and a panel vote award for each of the five categories. We're going to start with most underrated player, then we'll be moving on to best moments, team performance of the year, goal of the year and player of the year. And if we've got time, we'll have some silly ones at the end as well but we'll kick off with most underrated player the popular vote winner was Matt Lawson who took 35% quite a divided category this one there was a lot of popular options and James you were one of the people who voted for for Matt Lawson why, why was he your choice um, I just thought he was sensational you know, from the moment he came in um, I think he had one bad game all season and other than that he was absolutely fantastic and uh, you know he's not quite a Kieran Trippier replacement but I think he's really as good as we could have hoped for, to be honest. I think it's uh, I think it's interesting actually. You look at the the, the, the public vote um, poll, and there was only three percentage points between first and second, and second was Stephen Ward. So it's it's one of those actually. It's, it's interesting. But it's both our fullbacks um, that seem to have been getting the job done effectively but quietly all season. Yeah, I think that's true. We had one person on Twitter who thought George Boyd should have been up for this award, which I thought was a bit strange because Boyd's Boyd's form's been so up and down, and I don't know if you can really be underrated when it was like a joint club record fee when we signed him. So, yeah, not so sure about having George Boyd in there. Um, as Kevin mentioned, Stephen Ward was second in the popular vote. Natalie, you chose Stephen Ward. Why was that? Yeah, I did choose Stephen Ward, and I think probably for the same reasons that that James picked Loughton, really, but on the opposite side of the pitch. In the early stages of this season, we were talking about what we felt wasn't quite right with the team and what we would do to change, especially as we weren't, you know, defending as well as we had done um, in previous seasons, and we felt like we were a bit all over the place. And we'd been absolutely crying out for this back four all the way up to Christmas and it comes as no surprise to me that when he changed that back four um, we didn't lose a game after that and I think Loughton did come in a couple of games before Ward did but certainly since Ward took that left back spot um, we didn't lose a game after then and for me not enough credit was given to him for how professional he was at the back and how solid um, he was and how much he really played you know, his part in a defence that was magnificent for the second half of the season. Yeah, I've I've voted for Ward as well, which will be no surprise to anyone who's ever listened to the podcast because I am possibly Stephen Ward's number one fan. But um, I think uh, Phil Bird tweeted some stats about Ward. I think he's only played in two defeats in the league, and there we go, and Arsenal and Everton in the Premier League last season. So our record with Ward inside is absolutely phenomenal. Um, took some stick when he used to go on about Ward being in the team and how we would how we needed to get him in, but. I think he's, he's justified my faith quite spectacularly in the end. Um, this award, however, is actually going to be split between two players, the only one on the podcast where we couldn't come to an agreement, and you can blame Adam for this because he had the chance to decide and decided to split the vote instead. So, Kevin, you made the case for Matt Taylor, who shares our panel award for most underrated player with Stephen Ward. Yeah, definitely. And I think while it's, it's almost a different kind of underrated in a way because... 
Warden uh, allowed to have played such big roles, particularly in the second half of the season, starting starting all our games. Um, whereas Taylor's gone under the radar a little bit more in that he, he's not played as much football, but I think when he has played, he's been phenomenally... Uh, it's been phenomenal. His, the impact he's had in the games when he's come on and played has been has been second to none. Um, and... It, you know, you, you look at some of our, our biggest our biggest results, like the one at the, the draw against Brighton, Borough. Um, he he's, he he was involved in both the, the, the equalising goals at the end there. And particularly again, was it was it Forest where he, he scored scored an equaliser at the end as well? So yeah. one of the few games he started actually. Yeah, he scored some big goals, and he's also uh, set up some big goals despite playing very little football. Um, I've, I've said a few times I'd like to see him play a little bit more, um, but we can't really criticise the who's played and who hasn't played when we've won the league. But uh, yeah, I think when he's come on, he's been he's been fantastic, and he probably deserved a bigger role than he got. Incidentally, then the breakdown for the first award most underrated player, Matt Lawson, was the winner with thirty five percent, a little bit over a third of the vote. Stephen Ward thirty two percent, a little bit under a third. Matt Taylor was actually the least popular of the popular vote with 14% even though shares the panel award. And Davey Jones, the fourth person on the shortlist, got 19%. Um, there was a couple of unhappy tweets that Jones had even been mentioned, but I thought it was fair to have Jones on the underrated playlist. Next then, best moment. We came up with a, a four-thing four shortlist, a four-thing shortlist for this one. Um, and they were Jason Shackles' own goal at the turf, promotion being confirmed, Beating Rovers home and away, and Michael Keane's goal against Middlesbrough. This was a clear winner. Uh, Natalie, Michael Keane's goal against Borough, a pivotal moment in the season, managing to snatch an equaliser right at the death. Oh, it absolutely was. It was such a moment, and you know, Turf Moor just absolutely erupted, and the fans just went nuts. And it, it went from in a space of about thirty seconds to it almost slipping away from us really and that goal and in fact if you look back at the significance for Borough as well for us Borough at that point until Michael Keane equalised were I think five points clear then and they looked like they were nailed on for, for the title themselves and conceding that goal was a, as much of a blow to them as it was you know really lifted our chances and, and for me I felt like our entire season changed when that equaliser went in and it was just it, it was it was fantastic and I, I don't think I'll forget it for a long time. I think talking about Middlesbrough is quite a significant because I think they, they drew, was it the next two they drew after that as well. Um, yeah, they ended yeah, up with four draws. Yeah. I think they finished on a run of four draws. Got to be careful mentioning Middlesbrough because all the fans will think we're obsessed with them, <laughs> even though they're actually <laughs> obsessed with us. <laughs> so we'll try and keep the Borough chat to a minimum on the podcast this week and celebrate Burnley. Burnley winning the title, of course. Um, James, do you agree with Natalie that it was a, a big turning point? I suppose if if our unbeaten run had ended and Middlesbrough had taken the points instead that night, then it could well have all worked out a bit different at the end of the season. We could be in the playoffs right now. No, I think it's absolutely right to say that. Obviously, that was a crucial moment in um, you know making sure we finished the season as champions. Um, obviously, we had that sort of blip where we'd looked really comfortable for for winning it for a while, and then obviously we had three draws in a row which really put the emphasis back on that Borough game was such a massive one. I was the only person on the panel who didn't vote for the King goal against Borough. I, I wasn't actually at the turf, so that probably factored in um, with my decision. So I voted for promotion being confirmed because I think it was just such a, a relief to have it done with, with one game left before the end of the season as well. I felt that was absolutely pivotal. Uh, the breakdown of the votes for this one then. Michael Keane's goal against Borough won the popular vote and the panel vote. He took 45% of the vote, almost half of the votes. Confirming promotion took 25%. 18% voted for beating Blackburn Rovers. And 12% said Jason Shackles' own goal was the best moment of the season. I think Shackles' own goal might well get a mention a bit later in the podcast as well. Unbelievable. Oh, my Come 
Point to injury time here, Turf Moor. And we're playing level in the corner from Mike Matthew Taylor. I'm not sure who headed it in. I'm not sure how it went in, who got it in. I don't really care, here we go. Michael King, come on! Fully, fully, fully deserves. Brilliant. The third award that we're going to go through then is for team performance of the year. Lots of different candidates here. It was quite difficult to pick a shortlist because even though we won the title, we didn't really put together a 90 minutes all season, I didn't think. Our shortlist of four, therefore, was Huddersfield away, Bristol City at home, Brentford away and Preston away. Kevin, we'll start with you. You went for Preston away, a game at the end of the season. That really felt like a night when promotion was starting to feel inevitable. Yeah, and you talk about that 90 minutes. What I really mean by, by going for Preston away was more the first half of Preston away. Although we were professional in the second half, it was that first half performance was was phenomenal. Uh, and if we maybe had a little bit more luck and maybe a little, um, a few more inches either side in that in that, in that first half, we we could have been three, four, five, even five up. We were they Preston looked like a they looked like a Northern Counties uh, team at, at, at times. And we, we we tore them to shreds, and it was it, for me that we, we were fantastic in 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 forty five minute spells in some other games, particularly the Brentford one, which I'm sure will also get mentioned. But I thought that first half at Preston, we were just it, we, it was so utterly dominant, and we we just sliced through them like butter. That that that, that had to be our at least our our best forty five minutes of the season. I thought. Yeah, this it was a runaway winner on this one. To be honest, Preston away took sixteen percent. Of the vote, and we'll get James to make a case for that one as well. But the winner by a long, long distance in the end was Brentford away, where Burnley were absolutely sublime in the first half. Natalie, and some of the football we played in that forty-five minutes, it was three 0 at half time, wasn't it? But it, it, without even exaggerating, it could have been five, six, seven nil to Burnley. Yeah, it really could have done as well, and it it had come at a time when those results weren't really falling for us, and it was such a dominant performance from every single area of the pitch, and it was one where we started to get really excited um, about you know the potential in this side, and it was just it was just one of those nights really, and, and I think we've often fallen foul of the curse of the sky camera haven't we sometimes when Burnley are on television how many times have we had to suffer us not really putting in a performance when the you know most of the country's watching us but everything came together that night and and there was some real showmanship from the players they were playing with confidence a a real attitude about them and they looked like winners back then and and I don't think we've replicated that you know since that game I like to play a game when we were on Sky for the rest of the season. It was count how many times the Sky uh, Sky commentators mentioned the Brentford game, <laughs> and it, it, it was usually at least five every game. And, oh, you know, we saw him, we saw him slice Brentford to pieces. It was yeah, the Sky particularly liked that game. I think we've had quite a positive um, press coverage from Sky since that game as well. I genuinely think another reason why that game was so important is it changed the perception of us and it changed some of the um, Sky commentators and all of the media's attitude towards us. It felt different after that game for some reason. Um, you voted for Preston Oyer's team performance of the year, James. Very gritty, backs-to-the-wall performance at times, but Burnley it encapsulates the season in a way that we got the job done despite not playing that well going forward. Yeah, I just thought that it was the that game where we, you know, we really needed a massive performance, and um, you know the pressure was really on. It was it it could have been, um, you know, a difficult game, but I think the fans really helped as well. I think it was not just a, a team performance, but really sort of a club performance. You know that the fans were, you know, fantastic. Obviously, that the players fought hard, and um, it was one of those games where I thought Preston didn't really look threatening, but at the same time. Uh, you felt that we were maybe um, vulnerable to them getting an opportunity and 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 scoring and and snatching points from us. And it was such a big game at such a you know crucial juncture in the season that I just felt that the fact we managed to you know get the job done. Um, Bird is so right about the fan performance that night as well. It was one of those atmospheres that made the hair stick on the back yeah, of your neck. It really nearly did. Six thousand so, Burnley fans at Deeds. Yeah, it, it was, was certainly one of those incredible. that you'll remember forever. Preston, second place in the popular vote and in our panel vote as well, but the winner was for the Brentford game that we've already talked with. Um, 
that Natalie's already talked about. I just felt Burnley really showed their full attacking potential that night. All season on the podcast, we've been saying there's more to come from this team. If they're let loose, they can take a team apart. And against Brentford, they did that. Of course, there were extenuated circumstances with Brentford. The fact that James Tarkovsky had pulled out of the squad just before the game, saying that he didn't feel men- he didn't feel mentally prepared to play, given our interest in him. But I think we've got to remember as well, Brentford are a good side. They could have finished sort of top ten, pushing for the playoffs if they hadn't had all that upheaval. But the way we played, we made them look like Mickle over sports. I think. Kev said that Preston looked like a Northern County side. I think Brentford looks even worse because of the way we tore into them. So Brentford away was our team performance of the year on the podcast. Goal of the year then next up. And we had a couple of people um, suggest that Scott Arfield's goal at Brentford could have been on the shortlist for this one. It didn't make the cut and here's why. It's because we wanted to get a range of goals, types of goals on the shortlist for this one. So we've got a solo goal, a long range goal, a team goal and a set piece goal um, so it's the range and Arfield v Brentford just didn't really fit in so if that was your favourite apologies but we could only have four for the Twitter poll and it didn't quite make it the shortest therefore was Scott Arfield against Rovers Gray against Bolton Volks against Charlton and Barton against Brentford was the Brentford goal we put in there I think all three of the goals at Brentford could have gone in there um, Gravy Bolton was a very popular one with our panel. Natalie, what did you think was so special about that goal from Andre Gray? There's two things about this goal that really swung my vote for it, to be honest. Number one, it just was an incredible individual effort from, from Gray. It was he was so strong, he was so sharp, and he practically ran half the length of pitch from the halfway line, beat, I think, three or four defenders, just left them in, in the shadows, and he just finished it so well. But it wasn't just the nature of the goal itself. It also came at a time when we were 2-1 down away at Bolton, who at the time were fighting relegation, and it looked like we were going to drop our first points in this really long unbeaten run that we'd got to. And the team had kept their heads, and Gray hadn't let his head go down. And, you know, he managed to pull out that performance and that goal when, you know, we were under the pressure a little bit. And just to, to produce such an individual, it, I just thought it was class. I, I really did like it. It was a great goal. It was 1-0, wasn't it? Not 2-1. Oh, was it 1-0? So, yes, it was 1-0, sorry. We won the game 2-1. Uh, James, you voted for Gray against Bolton as well, didn't you? It's a lofty comparison, but it, to me it was really reminiscent of Thierry Henry, the way he just ran away from the defence and then finished it really coolly. Not saying Andre Gray is as good as Thierry Henry, but it did remind me of him a little bit. I felt everything about that goal, sort of, like you say, the way he pulled away from you know the defender, but also the fact that he kind of took the game by the scruff of the neck and you know, made it his own. It was one of those performances that I think is a, you know, classic striker's performance where maybe the team's not having the best game, but you know, the striker just drags them home by the scruff of the neck and, and wins the game. And I thought that goal sort of capped it off, and it was an absolutely lovely finish. It was a very good pass as well from from Frederick Overstad, wasn't it? Who obviously um, only played a bit part role, but the the presence of mind to get that ball into Andre Gray and the. The weight of the pass was superb as well. Gray still had a lot to do, but the, the pass made it. It, it was, and I, I thought actually it was a shame in a couple of subsequent games where Overstad got brought on late, Gray had been taken off. And I felt Overstad was still looking for that type of ball, but when we've taken Gray off and, and you're talking it's Vokes and Hennings or you know later in the season, Vokes and Barnes, I don't think you can really play that kind of pass. And It was a shame because I think in those games where Overstad was on and, and Gray wasn't, you were kind of missing maybe a... A string from Overstad's ball there. It's maybe something that we'll see a bit more of next season, the partnership between Overstad and Gray. Um, Adam had the deciding vote on this one, and he went for Gray versus Bolton as well, so that was our panel vote winner. Perhaps unsurprisingly, however, the masses went with Scott Arfield's fantastic strike against Blackburn Rovers. Any goal that is a winner against Rovers is going to go down in history, and 66% of you felt that Scott Arfield against Rovers was the goal of the season, although, like I say, a lot of people did also say Arfield v Brentford was a better goal and wouldn't the Rovers one wouldn't have even been on the shortlist if it wasn't against Rovers, which is a fair it point. It wasn't a technical goal, it, was it, it? It was against Rovers, so that's, that's why it was on there. I think we can conclusively say, though, that Scott Arfield won goal of the season. So, Yeah, I think that's fair. 
Someone we could else. Have had a few, we could have had just a Scott Arfield goal of the year we, category, we could couldn't have. we? Someone suggested we do that and um, have Stuart Arfield cast the designing <laughs> ball, which is maybe something that we can do for next season if he continues to score amazing goals. The other goal that the, the panel votes went to was actually the least popular in the four picked out on our shortlist, which maybe shows how little we know about the game, Kevin, because we both went for Sam Votes at Charlton. Yeah, and we talked about this last week, and I thought this was a... I, I, my my favourite goals are always those ones which um, which the whole team is involved with. Um, and actually, one of my favourite all-time Burnley goals is um, is one of the goals from Gifton Noel Williams' famous hat-trick. Um, and there's quite a few of us that. I, I, I think it's nice when you, it's, it's a big team build, team build where you've got lots of passing, it's going switching from left to right, it's going across, up and down. And that's what kind of what happened against Charlton. There must have been you know five or six, seven players involved in that in that play. And it was a really nice one-two for Ward to get into the box, um, and then a fantastic ball across to to Fox, who doesn't have a lot to do, but he's got the awareness to get into that spot to give himself not a lot to do. Um, uh, but not just that; it was also obviously that was the the goal essentially that won us the title. So it was a very significant goal as well. Um, so it's probably those two things combined, but yeah, that, that that kind of goal is my that's what I that's what I'd love to see a see a team scoring. So there was there was no that, there was no doubt in my mind that was my favourite goal. Absolutely, I I picked it for much the same reasons. I love seeing goals where the ball gets worked around and then you you spring at the decisive moment when there's a little bit of a gap. And although Charlton weren't really up to much, I felt that we did that very well. Um, a similar goal that a couple of people mentioned was I think Gray's winner at Birmingham. Someone said that all the outfield players touched the ball in that goal, so that one certainly deserves a mention as well. But the popular vote winner for goal of the year goes to Scott Arfield for his winner against Blackburn Rovers, and the panel vote winner goes to Andre Gray for his solo goal against Bolton Wanderers. And on we go to the big prize player of the year. Tom Heaton won this last year, the year before. It went to Jason Shackle, and we put together a four-man shortlist for this one. Joey Barton, Ben Mee, Andre Gray and Tom Heaton were the four we selected. I suppose there's two or three others that could maybe count themselves a little bit unfortunate not to get selected for this, but we could only name four, I'm afraid. James, you went for Ben Mee, who took a lot of the Supporter Clubs awards. Yeah, I just thought Ben Mee was absolutely fantastic this season. And I think, for me, the real reason I, I, I voted for him as my player of the year is that he, um, he sort of embodies... I think what it is about the team that made us so successful this season. You know, he's a um, hard worker. He doesn't really know what giving up is. I don't think. You know, how many times have we seen in his Burnley career that he's he's blocked a shot on the line with his face, or you know, similar to that? I think he just embodies really what it is that makes Burnley the side we have been this season, and, and you know, every season really under Dash. Certainly, a, a very very popular option by me and I don't think there'd have been any arguments if he'd won um, moving through the, the popular vote, Andre Gray only got 7% of the vote despite winning the Championships Player of the Year, I think we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that it was quite likely Gray was going to be named the best player in the league but not our best player, Tom Heaton got 11%, Tom Heaton by the way massive congratulations, is going to Euro 26 with England, so excited to see hopefully him get an England cap in one of the pre-tournament friendlies that are coming up I think we play Turkey on Sunday so certainly one to look out for there Ben Mee was second he took 36% of the vote which means the popular vote for the Northern Ever Player of the Year for 2015-16 goes to Joey Barton and everyone else on the panel also went for Joey Barton Kevin why, why Barton why was Joey Barton our Player of the Year um, because he's, he's been magnificent um We've talked quite a lot about Barton and the way he's changed perceptions throughout the season. Um, but without Joey Barton, um, we will probably be playing Sheffield Wednesday um, tonight in the playoffs. Um, I think he's, he's been absolutely fantastic. He's He's been fantastic, not just on the field, but off the field, not just uh, with his with the ball at his feet, but also the way he's controlled games. Um, you, you look at the, the passion he's had and the very desire and the focus he's had and I think all those are very fun, all key reasons why we're now um, champions of the football league. Um, he's the way he controls the pace of the game is fantastic. We've seen numerous times this season when he's really taken the game to himself. I think one of the key ones is Blackburn away when uh, it was quite a flat, even game. He went down, felt he should have had a penalty, and you could see by the look in his face, he thought, "This is it now." 
and it's no coincidence that the next kind of half hour or so we were uh, we were fantastic and it was our best spell of the game. That's happened so many times this season. And it really is the case that when Barton's really fired up, uh, we, we win the game and we're fantastic. Um, but not just that, I think his temperament has been has been brilliant. Every single game, you can count almost within the first five minutes, he's been clattered in every single game. Teams come to wind him up. Teams come to get a reaction. And that seems to be their, their, their main tactic is wind Joey Barton up and get a reaction, get him sent off. And not once has he even... I, I can think of one game when he's looked a little bit wind, wound up and that was it. And even then, he, he was still calm and collected after kind of two or three minutes. And it... it I think even for anybody, it, when you're coming under so, so much pressure and being tried to wind up every single game, it's be hard to, to stay composed throughout the season. But if, especially for a player like Joey, who's had lots of experience of um, maybe not being quite so calm and collected. Obviously, he, there's something. <laughs> it's one way to put it. <laughs> but you know, but there's something in there, something that that can go off at some point. And for someone with his character to then actually keep his calm all season, I think is is very admirable. Um, and he, yeah, he, he, he's the re- he's the main reason for me. Um, certainly on the pitch, but we're, we're now champions of the football league. I totally agree. I think it, it bottom made clear, didn't he, that winning the league was why he came to Burnley. And there were probably a handful of games that we might have lost. Certainly wouldn't have won if it wasn't for Boston making sure that we won it. I think, um, some of the other players that we signed have been massively important. Andre Gray's goals have obviously carried us through. Tom Heaton's been fantastic at the back. Ben Mee's been terrific. He's barely put a foot wrong since moving to centre-back. But I think if we hadn't signed Joey Barton, we might not be top six, let alone top of the league. I think he made that much of a difference. Certainly taking into account that Dean Marnie missed quite a lot of the season as well. We could have been left with Dave Jones playing with Scott Arfield in midfield if we hadn't signed Joey Barson so I think he really was the missing piece and for me he was by far and away our player of the year Natalie why why did your vote go to Joey Barton? For exactly the same reasons that that you guys have just summarised I don't think there's there's anything else I can add to it he's an absolute leader he completely revolutionised our team from the minute he came on Um, he came on for his first substitute performance and changed the game straight away and as soon as he came on the pitch, everybody just went, oh, yeah, that's what we've been missing. So I, I, don't, I can't add anything other than what you guys have. He's, he has probably single-handedly dragged us um, into the championship. And I, I agree with you. I don't think we'd be even um, possibly in the top six without him. Yeah, I think he's just been a, a model professional. And I think you could go you could go back and listen to some of the podcasts around the time Barton signed. And we we were probably a bit reticent I think is the right way to put it because obviously he's had a checkered past and there's been times when the red mist has descended and he's lost his temper, it's only a couple of years ago since he had that meltdown on the last day of the season at Manchester City his old club with QPO and he got sent off and then attacked about three players on his way off And I think we all we all felt that there was a risk that that was going to happen but it hasn't happened, as Kevin said he's been absolutely faultless mentally he's been completely zen and it's just a shame, James, that the talk is that he might be signing for Rangers rather than staying at Burnley next season. Yeah, no. Um, I'm not sure what to say, to be honest. It's hard to believe, isn't it, that you'd turn down uh, you know, Premier League football for, for, for the SPL, particularly with Rangers. Obviously, we've only just got back to the SPL. So winning it's not really, or even challenging, it's not guaranteed necessarily for them. So... Um, yeah, it, it'd be a massive shame to see him go and I really can't see a situation where we haven't offered him two years. So, you know, maybe Rangers have offered longer term or more money, but uh, obviously I'm sure we all remember him saying when he signed for us, um, you know, this season, that he'd never make another decision based on money again. So, I think the latest reports today, James... Out. I think the latest reports today are that Rangers have offered him a three-year deal, but it's on half the salary that he's been offered at Burnley. So it's essentially the equivalent of an 18-month deal at Burnley. Well, that makes it even... I don't think you made it any more easy for me to talk about it, to be honest. I think that sounds even <laughs> more ridiculous now, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, um, it's, it, it is tricky because I think he's 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 got kids at school age, hasn't he? So he's probably thinking he, he wants to settle somewhere and get the kids into a school where they're going to stay for a while, but... I think realistically, it's going to be his last chance to be a Premier League footballer, and this is a guy who who obviously has very high 
belief in himself, but I don't think he's achieved as much as he could have. And if he chooses to go in a, a tin pot league like the SPL, which for the most part is League One standard, that would be a very strange decision for me, even if it's a three-year contract on the table, which at the age of 30, 30 fair enough, three-year deal is it's hard to come by, but he's not going to be challenging himself by going to the SPL. I mean, absolutely, but there's nothing to say that, you know, two years down the line, he might get another year from Burnley or, you know, there are teams in the Lancashire, I mean, Burnley aren't by any means the only team in the Lancashire area. There's plenty of options really to go to that, you know, I think from the family stability point of view, maybe he'd be fine, but it's disappointing having read all the stuff in the, the press last season before he signed for us, you know, how he felt he could still play in the Premier League, how he was disappointed teams weren't giving him a chance and now he's going to, you know, maybe potentially turn his back on the chance to play in the Premier League, to play in the SPL, which, you know, you said for the most part it's League One, but even at best it's, what, mid-table championship? I think one of the things that we need to consider with this, guys, is that aside from the fact that a 34-year-old being offered a three-year deal is is huge in terms of stability and job, um, you know, well, jobs and salary um, stability for the next few years. But let's just say he does win the SPL next season and, and Rangers do manage to attract and build a really good team. He's got a chance of playing Champions League football this season after and he's not going to get that chance if he stays at Burnley. So I think for me, he's got an option of staying at Burnley for 12 months and getting involved in a relegation dogfight for most of the year. Um, or going to a club like Rangers, winning an SPL title and potentially having one crack at the Champions League before he retires. And I don't think you can underestimate how much that might affect his decision. I think that's a fair point. But even if Rangers got in the Champions League, they'd probably lose the qualifier or get embarrassed in the group stage. So he'd experience it, but he's going to be as... I don't want to say out of his depth, but it would be they'd be the bottom of the Champions League teams, whereas we're likely to be the bottom of the Premier League teams. And I think... Leicester, Leicester have just won the league there's no reason why we can't go and win yeah, the league and get in the Champions League I was about to say I'll drop one word in that one word being Leicester so you know for me Kevin it. it's it's disappointing to read all his quotes recently where he was, he was talking about he doesn't want relegation to be the aim he thinks we can do better than that all the talk was assuming that he was going to sign a new contract and then we see pictures of him in Glasgow and all the reports are that he's, he's on the brink of signing for Rangers with a decision due in the next few days apparently is it is it a bit of brinksmanship maybe to try and get more money or a longer contract out of Burnley Sean Dyche seemed he seemed quite relaxed on goals on Sunday Dyche he didn't seem too worried about the prospects of Barton not signing I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's a big bluff we talked last week about saying he's very clever with the negotiation how he started he was speaking in the press about um wanting a two-year deal, but Burnley only offering him one. Uh, I, I really wouldn't be surprised at all if this is just another part of his of his negotiation with the club. Um, it, it, seemed, it all seemed a little bit too perfect for me, that we have reports that he was in talks with Rangers. Um, then he was conveniently spotted, um, photographed in a, in a perfect position in a, in a Glasgow restaurant. Uh, and then the next day he was posted on pictures on Twitter of himself with... Um, with with Kenny Miller, I think was it. Um, it all seemed a little bit a, a little bit convenient for me. Um, that's such that's a good point. Ho- that's me being maybe being hopeful. Um, but I think someone else has also said that he's you know he's good mates with with uh, Frank McCartland at, at, at Rangers. And it, I don't know. I just wouldn't be surprised at all if this is just a big another part of his. Um, he's trying to bluff the club. And if he's you know putting it out there that they've offered him three years, and maybe it's just him trying to persuade the club to. To, to give him that extra year that he wants. Yeah, I think it's it's possible, but I, I don't see Dash being the sort of person who would cave into that. I think if we've decided Barton's only worth one year, I'm not sure anything Barton decides to do is going to persuade us to offer a second one. We talked on the podcast last week, didn't we? I think we were all in agreement that a two-year deal for Barton would be quite sensible. And I think even if you do like fag-packet maths and try and work out what it could be, if, say, for example... He signed on 30k a year, which I don't think is out of the question for our top players for next season. That's 1.5 million a year. So even if he didn't play much in the second year, that's 1.5 million for another year of Barton. He could do some coaching. He could work with the young players. It's I don't think it's it's out of the question for us to be able to do that when you consider what we might have to spend in the transfer window if we need to replace Joey Barton. It's it's potentially a lot of money to to buy a new midfield James if we don't have Barton to build build the midfield around next season 
Yeah, no, we could be we could be spending you know serious money. Um, it's difficult because I mean, there's, there are probably better options out there um, to you know to to take in the midfield. You know, younger players who maybe feel they've got more to prove. Because you know the feeling I'm getting is that maybe he doesn't think he has as much to prove as he previously did because he's you know he's willing to look elsewhere. But you know, it's a lot of money to commit to someone who maybe doesn't think he's good enough anymore. To be honest, I think it's not just that as well, James. I think just picking a point you've just said there. I think I'm trying not to be naive enough to assume that Barton's going to be as effective next year as he was been in the championship. He was outstanding this season, but the majority of that was because he was far too good for that league. It is going to be a different kettle of fish next season in in the Premier League. He won't be the star. He won't be the best player every single week, and he certainly won't be able to run rings around every single midfield like he has done for most of this season. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's something that's that you know i guess either making barton think about going to the um scottish league he is an ego player is joy barton he always has been and he what you know is it going to play in his, i'm not saying he will do but i'm just going to throw this as an option is it going to be you know influencing his decision that he can stay in the premier league in a in a, you know in a battle where he won't be the best player and have to scrap for the relegation fight as opposed to going back to going to the scottish premier league to a, a division where again he's going to be far and above the best player in that league and every week I think that's, that's that's a fair point but I don't think Joey Barton's the sort of person who shies away from that battle and being able to prove himself does it I suppose no no, no I don't I didn't yeah we've talked about Rangers quite disparagingly I think which is understandable given the, the level of football they play but they are they are going to play in front of big crowds Ibrox holds what 40,000 people it'll be four most weeks as the old firm I'm sure Joey Barton would love to play in an old firm derby that seems like the sort of occasion that would really get him going but I think it's half the job, isn't it? If you come to Burnley and get us promoted, it's half the job. The rest of the job, you've got to keep us up. And I've, having been so full of admiration for Joey Barton for the last few months, and he's proved me wrong because I was so sceptical when he signed, I would be a bit disappointed if he decided not to not to, to stay and, and make himself a, a club legend, really. I think if he stayed for another year or two, helped to stay up, was player of the year again I think he'd go down in history whereas he seems like a bit of a mercenary if he if he goes somewhere else after a year it's it's disappointing that we've had to give over five ten minutes of the podcast celebrating how brilliant we've been this year to talk about our best player potentially leaving but I suppose that's how it is and hopefully we'll have news on on Barton for for the next podcast whenever that is and hopefully it will be news that he signed a new contract um, moving on from the, the main awards then we have a few others to go through some sensible, some silly as you will fully expect from the non and ever podcast that seems to be our balance favourite away ground slash game is the first one then Natalie you went for Arsenal away in the cup I did, and I was the only panel member to go with this one. Um, there have been a lot of away games this season. It's been a really good year in terms of great away days and great atmospheres and, and great um, things you know, on the road. Arsenal away, for me, um, got it for two reasons. Number one, the Emirates is a fantastic ground. It's one of my favourite football grounds, full stop. And, and it just reminded me of, of how nice it is to be in the top league with all of those amazing stadiums and to go on away games like Arsenal and, and City and, and games like that. But actually, in the league but secondly the performance on the pitch as well I thought that the, the players gave a really good account of themselves they didn't show themselves up at all and, and you know they really competed in that game and unfortunately we lost to the to the league hold uh, sorry to the cup holders at the time so you know there's no shame in losing that game but it was a really good day and I, you know that got my vote so was it nothing to do Bombers, with the fact that you came out on the podcast as an Arsenal fan? <laughs> yes it's exactly that I am a closet Arsenal I'm glad fan. we've not allowed no, Natalie to, to forget that moment um, James, Never, you, ever. James, you went for Preston. It was nice to to visit Deepdale again, just for for one visit. Hopefully, we won't get there for a while. And they finally got round to finishing the stadium, which I was quite pleased to see. Yeah, no, uh, Preston's an interesting one. I think because obviously the the great Burnley rivalry is Burnley Blackburn, but I think for people sort of my age, um, we didn't really play Blackburn a lot, but we did play Preston a lot, so. In some ways, it almost feels like the, you know, the, the main derby for a massive proportion of my life until Blackburn, you know, got relegated and uh, started playing us again, and obviously we were better than them, so it made it 
uh, an excellent occasion. Um, but I think just all round, you know, it reminded me a little bit of Wigan away. Um, last time we are in the, the, the championship where, you know, I think all the Burnley fans just went in a bit of a party mood and it was a fantastic atmosphere from that point of view. And obviously this time we managed to finish it off on the pitch as well. Yeah, it was good to, to rub their nose in it a bit in their cup finals after they managed to turn us off at the turf. However, the winner of the panel award for this one was Fulham. Um, Kevin, we went to this game together, the Nona Never crew was all in attendance and it's it's really nice the way that they've managed to balance the redevelopment of Craven Cottage, but still keeping some of the old touches. I think it's great. Um, it's it, I think it's it's one of my favourite grounds I've been to. Um, I think it's it feels nice and traditional, but it's got it's it's still comfortable as well. I think you can go to some uh, grounds which are described as traditional, and uh, they've still fallen into a bit of uh, a bit of disrepair in some places, and they can be a bit uncomfortable. This one. Um, it's still got those really nice touches. You've got the, the, co- the cottage in the corner where we um, joked that if it was a rubbish match, you can go and watch Corey in the back. The balconies um, where I was worried about people falling off. Yes, absolutely. And it, it, it still feels like a really nice traditional um, kind of football ground, but it's, it's nice and comfortable. Um, but not just for ground. I thought it was, really, it was one of my favourite away games as well, purely because the first half was we were absolutely abysmal. Uh, and it was one of our worst performances of the season in the first half, and we 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 really perhaps not even could, but probably should have conceded two more um, at least. Um, so it was one of those at half time we were all feeling this is this is terrible, and to then to come back and, and then win by in the second half, it was that really roller coaster of emotions. We were had a great high early on when we scored the first goal, then went down low when we were so abysmal after that, and then we you went high again when we we won the we won the match in the end, and also. I think was it Middlesbrough got beat by Rotherham or drew with Rotherham or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Towards the end, so. so it was a, a real boost. Yeah, for us. so it, it it was a it's fantastic stadium, I think, and it was also a real roller coaster of emotions, which is always always makes for a great game, a great game, I think. Can I say what my favourite part of Fulham was? The birth of the Ben Mee champ. <laughs> I <laughs> forgot that was at Fulham. That was great though. I'm absolutely mortified that the players are trying to whitewash with this message to you, Ben Mee thing, because. It's just the, the best chant ever because it's just so simple. It's just his name. I Sing something simple. <laughs> my problem with the message for you, Ben Me song is that I hate it, but it's still been in my head since uh, since Wagner was seeing it. <laughs> Scott Arfield paid Wagner to sing a message for you, Ben Me. I'll be curious if Joey Barton's video. <laughs> I'll be curious if Joey Barton's put that song in all our heads and then leaves to go to Rangers. <laughs> I, I, and there is that? something rather creepy about watching Wagner sing it as well. <laughs> There's just something creepy about Wagner. My favourite thing about Wagner singing it is <laughs> is that the gaps he leaves between every line. <laughs> <laughs> Build the tension. <laughs> yeah. He still thinks his own X-Factor blessing. Poor guy. Anyway, <laughs> Somebody paid for that. Somebody yeah, actually paid him money Scott to Arfield, produce Scott that video. Paid just him gonna money. I think that was, that was why it was... That's, uh, that's, I think that's promotion bonus well spent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, Scott. but going, going back to him, that had Joey Barton written all over it. I, I think he set that up 100%. It was, I feel posted it, oh. so I think... I think he regardless, they all have uh, plenty of money, don't they, to, to spare the 250 quid or whatever it is that Wagner <laughs> has. It's not like it was a fortune. Do a custom song. <laughs> We can do that as our as our summer um, non and ever stuff. We can post a video of us all singing something to Scarfield instead. You fancy that? Uh, Did more than two hundred fifty quid to do yeah, that. Yeah, I think we've also <laughs> had more than enough of your singing on the podcast this year, brothers. Oh yeah, that's true. Uh, that's our true. listener numbers have halved <laughs> since that podcast. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <set> that, <laughs> Moving on to the next award, then most nervy moment and the build up to the Preston game was your nomination for this one, Natalie. I'm guessing you had a bad feeling about it. I had a really bad feeling about this game. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll go on to what the rest of the panel um, voted for in a second, but um, I actually do agree with your choice as well. I, I just put this forward just because as the game started going on, I did actually start to relax more into it. Um, but I genuinely... It, this was in the same week, if I remember rightly, as the Middlesbrough game, was it? We played Middlesbrough on Tuesday and Preston on Friday. Yeah, right. And if you remember, those of you who, who'd listened to the podcast episode that week, we'd done um, a heart rate monitor um, test for the Middlesbrough game and I just kept mine on just because I didn't relax for the rest of the week. And we... 
I was I couldn't eat on the Friday at all before the game. I, I think my trainee at the time forced me to have some breakfast, and that was all I had all day. I didn't eat before the game, and my resting heart rate was about ninety five all day. It just didn't calm down, and I was an absolute mess. So yeah, I, I was that was definitely the most nervous I've been all all season. Yeah, I, I was all down to good sugar bromers. <laughs> probably, probably. Schoolboy. No, it was it was definitely nerves. I could feel it. <laughs> Talking about the heart rate, Kevin, you went for the build-up to the Middlesbrough game for this one, which is when we were doing the, the measuring of the heart rates. Yeah, I didn't. I, I couldn't get a, a ticket to Preston, um, and maybe if I, I was maybe if I was going to game, it, it might have been different. But yeah, I think the build. We, we talked earlier about how the, that Michael Keane goal at the end of the Borough match changed changed everything really in the promotion race, and and it, it felt like that game was was for one. It was it was one of those whoever won it. If, if either team won it, they were probably going to go on and get promotion. Um, and I think if we'd lost, if we'd lost that game, we, we'd have had a, a, a big mountain to climb uh, potentially. So it, it was one of those games. It was it was so nervy. And I think actually, as my heart rate kind of showed, it was actually the build up for the game which was the, the most nervy. And I think during the match, my heart rate slowed down. Um, but yeah, I, I was incredibly nervous before that match. It was it was one of those where you're just trying to do anything to distract yourself before the match. I think actually we were so nervous. Me and Adam um, were so distracted before the game. We actually got lost in Burnley. We had to we had to we had to follow Middlesbrough fans to to the ground. <laughs> Brilliant. That's <laughs> but good. going down streets. I've I've been down loads of times before, but it, it was just so nervy that we just lost all bearings of what was a reality. Fantastic. Um, so that's my favourite story of the whole season. That kept you lost control of all your senses. You were that scared. That's great fodder for all the people I know. Saying they don't even ever lads. They don't even really go to games. Fun. Can't even find the turf. <laughs> but the winner of the most nervy moment award, me, James, and Adam all went for this one was at the end of the Preston game, Dean Marnie went down injured and there was a free kick for Preston right on the edge of the box, James, and if it had gone in, it could have been it. Yeah, I think at that moment, just before the free kick, you could have probably heard a pin drop in that away stand, which considering how many clarets they were in there, it was incredible. I think everyone was holding their breath and um, it, it didn't help just the sheer delay in taking it. It wasn't just that they got the free kick, it was that they took so long over being able to take it that you had that opportunity to really realise how important that was. Um, so, yeah, it was a relief to see it came to absolutely nothing. It was probably the biggest anti-climax ever for, for Preston, so... It was. It didn't help either that it had come at a time where every single game seemed to have a most ridiculous amount of action in the 90th to the 97th minute, so... We all expected a, another twist in the tail, especially as the sky cameras were there. It was like, not again. Absolutely, but that free kick wins the most nervy moment. I'm sure there'll be many more nervy moments in next season's podcast awards as well. Next up then is Meltdown of the Year. Natalie, you went for Reading's goalkeeper, Ali Hallopsy, furious at Andre Gray for having the temerity to get fouled in the penalty area. How dare he get fouled? I uh, know this. This was just uh, the most ridiculous. I mean, there's been quite a few this season, hasn't there? That are candidates for this particular award, but I think this one for me was it was just it was so outrageous, and I'm still I'm still surprised that it didn't get the press coverage that it did. I think if it had been against at the time, maybe Borough or Hull or Derby, you know, the, the big sides who were getting the press coverage, I think the more would have been made of it. And I think you know it was because it was read in Burnley that it kind of got swept under the carpet. But it was absolutely shocking, and it wasn't just his tantrum when he you know that the penalty was awarded it was just the way that the players acted and if if you remember you know they were scuffing um the penalty spot away they, they were kicking the ball away they did everything they can to make um, him miss the penalty which he did miss that penalty and then if you remember there was that awful Arsenal versus Van Persie moment where the players were pushing and shoving and laughing at him um and just think he was you know the whole team at that point was just a it was just ridiculous and Andre did so well to keep his cool and just get through that game without um you know any incident and just you know carry on with his game but you know it's not necessarily just the Reading keeper but maybe just the whole Reading squad that for that five minutes of that penalty were an absolute disgrace yeah they do say that the best revenge is served cold and Andre had his revenge didn't he with the tweet he posted at the end of the season uh split screening 
the the Reading players jumping all over him with him sat on his sofa with all his personal awards in front of him, including the Championship Player of the Year prize. That was quite good banter from Andre. Uh, but the winner, it was unanimous apart from Natalie. We all went to Iso Karanka for his infamous pressure rant talking about all the pressure being on Burnley because they're seven points behind. Where's your seven-point gap now, Iso? Where's your seven-point gap now? Kevin, certainly one of the more memorable um, outbursts of the season from a manager who, it's fair to say, we've had quite a lot of laughs at this season. Yeah, we could have... We could, we could have... In, in in retrospect, we could have had a Karanka Quarter of the Season um, award because he's had, he's had some crackers. Um, oh yeah, when he said he'd have got us promoted by February, like all right, mate. <laughs> yeah, fantastic, and it, it's quite funny watching the Charlton game on Sky beforehand. They were praising the way that Karanka had dealt with the pressure this season, which is the most hilarious thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> um, it was yeah, it's, it's brilliant, and. and he he said lots of things this season which seemed to bite him on bite him on the bum, um, and it, yeah, it, it, it's he's had so many different things when he seems to. I think he's been he's been having he's had a breakdown in almost every press conference. He's almost seemed like you just expecting to burst out in tears or in laughter or I don't know what's going. I'd love to know what's going on inside his head sometimes, but he's uh, he's certainly given us the comedy factor this season. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm quite glad Borough got promoted as well actually because it'll, be, it'll keep the the little feud going. Uh, Middlesbrough are one of these clubs that don't really have a proper local rival, so they have to try and manufacture the rivalries. I think um, I've spoken about the Gazette on the podcast before, so I'm not going to go on about them too much. But there was a guy, um, Anthony Vickers, I think, he wrote an article saying that Burnley is really obsessed with uh, Borough. Burnley and Brighton are really obsessed. And he wrote this whole article about how obsessed we are, but he was talking about us. He's like they need to stop talking about it. Was very, very. Do you strange. think it's funny how um, how it's both Brighton and Burnley are both obsessed with Boer? Yeah, yeah, we don't care about. It. It's just weird, but it's, it's always them, isn't it? Yeah, Borough are amazing. It's understandable why we're so obsessed with them. <laughs> James, the, the way that Karanka went on, it was embarrassing in a way, but also very, very funny. Certainly since we won the title in the end. It was, and I think that uh, Borough fans' approach to him seems a bit strange because there's the time when it looked like he was on his way out and everyone was sort of sticking the knife in. But now if you see Borough fans on Twitter, they're all defending him constantly. It's a bit bit strange. And obviously you can never forget the comment where he said, if you'd given him you know, 12, 13 Premier League players like we had, he'd be up in February. Yeah, it's, it's a weird one. I saw Karanka and I think it's good that they've kept him despite the meltdown because I think the certainty is to go down next season. I've got to wait to see how he deals with all the pressure in the Premier League. Uh, There's quite a lot of reports actually that they are going to be getting rid of him. Um, oh, no! Momentum. I know. Oh. Yeah. Really? Because their chairman came out and was saying about how great he is now that they're all together and they've all got this same Yeah, it's, very, it's very vision. odd, isn't it? I think they've all conveniently forgotten as well about his complete meltdown halfway through the season where he actually walked out on his squad and uh-uh. his board told him not to bother coming back because they were done with him. And then suddenly he's come back, strung some results together, got him promoted and all is forgotten. Whether or not, like you say, there seems to be some very consistent reports coming out from, from Borough. Whether or not they stay with him, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if um, if if Borough do start the next season badly and they do find themselves rooted to the bottom um, before Christmas. It wouldn't surprise me if, if he gets booted and he's one of the first Premier League managers to go. They don't strike me as a club that are particularly um, on, not honourable, loyal to their managers. I think they'll, especially with his history this season, I think they'll get rid of him very quickly. He certainly can't complain about loyalty having walked out on his own squad, can he? Um, moving on to the next prize then. Funniest moments of the year, and we were completely unanimous in this one. Probably one of the more memorable games at the turf, again, in front of the Sky Sports cameras. Derby County came to turf more and were humiliated with quite a lot of luck going to Burnley. But Jason Shackle, remember him? Player of the year two years ago. He scored a quite magnificent own goal, James. Yeah, no, fantastic. And I think, um, you know, maybe one of the lasting memories from this season will be uh, comms cam with uh, Barnes and Duke trying to at least look half like they're not absolutely wetting themselves at the start of uh, Shackle uh, losing his team at a game at Turf Moor. Yeah, I actually. I don't think I don't think we were trying. I think I think um, <laughs> I think Phil Phil asks Duke. Phil says to Duke something like, "You've got to feel sorry for him." And Duke just goes, 
No, no, not at all. <laughs> I, I think before that point, Duke was trying. I mean, Barnes definitely really sort of had lost it, like he did for every goal, basically. Um, but, you know, it, it was just one of those moments, you know, the, the suspense as they waited to see who was to blame. And then when they saw the replay, uh, oh, what, what a picture that moment was. Yeah, he managed to give away a penalty, so he certainly had one of the, of the worst individual performances from an opposition player I can remember. I actually watched that game in the pub in, in Leeds with a couple of Derby fans and some mates from work, and I just couldn't believe what I was seeing, really. It must have been even better at the turf, Natalie, with everyone having a go at, at Shackle, who was our captain until in the summer when he decided to take the money and run. Oh, it it was absolutely hilarious. It was one of those just brilliantly funny nights that you just love being a football fan. It reminds me very much of the very first promotion year when we um, pulled it back. I think it was a 4-1 um, deficit to Spurs in the Carling Cup and um, we took it to extra time. And the Spurs fans had been singing 1-0 and, you know, the rest of the song to us all the way through the season. Uh, sorry, all the way through the game. And the Burnley fans just unanimously um, and completely spontaneously turned around to the uh, Spurs fans and started singing back at them 4-1 and you, I can say, you know, the rest. Um, and it reminded me, of, and it was one, that was one of the funniest moments I've ever had in football. And that moment at Turf Moor, there was a moment where it was just led on the floor and he's you know you could see and everyone was laughing and cheering him and shouting you'll always be a claret and then he got up and you know the the, the derby players were gingerly passing it to each other and the crowd just started singing pass it to jason and honestly and you could see his shoulders were just going further and further down and he just wanted the ground to swallow him up and it was just it was relentless from the burnley players uh, sorry from the burnley fans it didn't let up on him we had you'll always be a claret you know we love you jason we do pass it to jason and everything and he could hear it because it was so loud it was just brilliant my fit one of my favorite images of the season is um it's a gif what um i think adam post is uh, and we retweet i mean we we retweeted it again this week after he scored another incredible own goal uh, in the playoffs. Um, incidentally, I don't know if he's finished that business he was trying to finish yet, um, but I don't know. But one of my favourite images of the season is that gif of him. He's just knelt on the floor, just looking round, looking like he wants the world the world to eat him <laughs> up. It was a fantastic image. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy either, could it? Yeah, the own goal in the playoffs, by the way, I think loads of people saying, oh, it's just bad luck, there's nothing he can do. No, you don't turn away from the ball. If he hadn't no, turned he away, it would have hit him in the face. Ben Mee would have let the ball hit him in the face and it would not have been an own goal. You turn away, it can hit you and go in. So it's not unlucky at all. Ben Mee yeah, would we... have hit the ball in the face, not the other way around. Yeah, he would. That's the thing. It's like Keane and me would have both attacked that ball and started running up the field and getting it back into our attack. There's no way. <laughs> he just looked so weak when he turned away from it. It was like, oh, don't hit me with the ball. And, oh, look, it's in the back of your net, you clown. <laughs> he's probably be half unconscious since that's how you know he likes to play the game so if he's not going to get his head taken off then he's, he's not really played has he exactly we all, we all remember Ben Mee's header live on Sky when he put his head in that striker's boot remember that time <laughs> he apparently lost a tooth at Wolves away this season as well <laughs> doesn't surprise me at all it does not surprise me at all <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Ben Mee's got his own personal hospital <laughs> Probably needs on. <laughs> oh dear! And if, if you thought that discussion wasn't ridiculously enough, we are going to end on best hair, which you may remember from last season was won by George Boyd by dint of having lots of hair. I think <laughs> Kevin. I think you lobbied for this award to be included, so I'll let you go first. Who's your nomination for best hair? Well, I did lobby for this because I remember us talking about it last year, and it's a bit about, about weird, about weird award we had. And I think Jason Shackle had an honourable mention for his uh, his slick hair. Um, but actually, when I look through our squad, and uh, we've got the most boring set of haircuts in the world, I think we need we need someone to come in and give them all a bit of a some some wacky dudes because we're all especially the like we've all got out of bed and just not bothered with it. Um, I I I had to give my award to uh, to Tarkovsky purely because he's the only one. Uh, other than Boyd, who actually seems to have anything other than just a boring, just cut, cut haircut, essentially, he's actually got something to his hair. Um, a, surely there has to be a mention in this category for Dave Jones, who's managed to grow some hair. <laughs> we didn't think it was possible. <laughs> I, did, I was going to give him an hour mention, actually. D- despite the the very dodgy sort of. Um, recommendation of the the local barber who did it on Turf Moor that just felt a little bit <laughs> awkward. 
I can still remember the game where he first had hair. I was like, who's playing in midfield for us? Why is he wearing Jones's shirt? Who is this player? <laughs> Um, and I think, you know, for 10 minutes at least, it, it conned the James Hargreaves up into not booing every sideways pass he made. So. <laughs> it's a good job he's not played with Dean Marnie that often now because they've had similar length hair for much of the season and you just have no chance to tell them apart now that Jones hasn't got his trademark skinhead. Um, I think Joey Barton deserves a mention in here as well for his, his greaser look, similar to Alex Turner and the Arctic Monkeys. Natalie, I don't think there's any prizes for guessing who you're going to bring up here. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> I, I'm going to give my man Sam Vokes a nod because he's not won anything yet and I know none ever awards Your this. man Sam Vokes. My man Sam Vokes. Actually, yeah, maybe I shouldn't sound a little bit crazy when I say that, don't I? No, but I say that, I, I give it to Sam as spokesperson, but if you look across our team selection, they all seem, there's quite a lot of our players all seem to have the same hairstyle. It's that kind of gelled, mini spiky thing that they've got going on. I think Loughton and Vokes and Ben Mee and Heaton, they've all got the same hair so i give it to vox in recognition and you know collectively for the rest of the squad we were saying recognition of having the exact same hair as half the rest of the team <laughs> no i'm gonna make a case for george boyd to retain his crown his crown get it crown because it's about hair crown he's not having hair. it because of that ridiculous little bun that his web started to wear in the back of it no, he's he's, he's received all rights twice uh, normally he sticks to the classic Alice band, you know, as pioneered by David Beckham. Um, majestic. Majestic. Uh, that's the it reminds me too much of Chris Eagles, and I, 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 I fend, I'm offended by it, so no, he doesn't get my vote, I'm sorry. No, but he's, he's, he's got the work rate that Chris Eagles could never match. He's like got the prima donna hair with the absolute, like, he's basically got the work rate of a coal miner. He doesn't have the hair of a coal man. I love he doesn't have the hair of a coal man. Exactly. That's what's so impressive about it. This you is know? what happens when you put you end a podcast on hair of the year. It descends into chaos. It could have worked great. I'd like to chaos. I would like to formally apologise for uh, suggesting <laughs> this category. It could have been worse. There is a category on our, our document that we're working from that's titled "Best Budget Hotel Chain Beds," but I've. I've Use my executive power to skip that category. Well, I'll just make it easy for all the listeners that basically Premier Inn won. This is an advert. Premier Inn you, you suggested the Travel Lodge, which although Frank it might is, not be an advert, but if if, if Premier would like to give us yeah, free hotels if, for the away game next season, we if, would. Uh... If Lenny Henry's listening, please do get in touch. The email yeah, address Premier Inn could that known have done that. It, Can I just point out that was great there, Jamie? Even though you said you were using your executive powers to veto it and Kevin and James just did it anyway. And we, yeah, we're well, still talking about it, so it shows how much no, respect I've got. I would like to, to build a hotel more conveniently where I need one so I don't have to stay in this <laughs> travel lodge with awful pillows again, then I would much appreciate that as well. I think we need to round off the best hair discussion. Um, I'm going to stick with my vote from last year and the same phrase I used because looking back at it today, I was still quite happy with it. My vote goes to Sean Dyche for all his no-nonsense bonds. You can sort the rest out between you. I'm dropping the mic. I'm not dropping the mic because it was quite expensive and I don't want to break it. George Boyd because, you know, work rate of a minor <laughs> hairstyle of um, a catwalk model. Hairstyle of a Eurovision entry, I think. <laughs> oh, cool. oh, that's de- that's definitely a career for when he when he when he's finished with football. What hair? To be honest, you probably can't. No do professional Eurovision entry. You can just go around <laughs> the countries. He, he probably my lovely horse. Can we pull it back now, guys? I don't think we can. <laughs> back I think we've room. lost it forever. Can this we is the last award ceremony to a close. We, 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 we were hanging on to a clip by fingertips, and now we've all plummeted into yeah. the, the sea. Well, I, I tried to use my executive power, and my executive power didn't work. So, Natalie, you're going to get the casting vote, and you can abuse it to go on about sand bolts as much as you like, and then we'll wrap this thing up. So, I have the casting vote on hair. Yes, you have the most hair, so you get the vote on hair. Okay, I'm going to also vote for our gaffer, Sean Dyche, as well. Thank you. Sean Dyche wins! Sean Dyche wins best hair, even though he hasn't got any. It's a win for skinheads all over the world. And that, thankfully, is that. (laughs) If you'd like to get in touch and question any of our um, 
awards or categories, more likely categories, let's face it, given the farcical nature of the second half of the podcast, please do get in touch. The email address is podcast at net. You can also tweet us at net. All the awards are up there as well if you want to have another look at how the voting breakdown works, if that's the sort of thing you're into. Thanks to everyone who voted. Like I said, there was about 800 people contributed to the awards, so thanks a lot to everyone who joined in and thanks for listening throughout the season as well but we'll be back over the summer with some bits and bobs depending on what goes on at the club so please listen out to that thanks to Adam who does a sterling job editing the podcast thanks for our tweet of the week jingle as well and if you would like to inquire about sponsoring us now is a perfect time to do so podcast at net is the email address for that we've got a range of packages available for next season but that's it thanks for James Kevin and Natalie for joining me. I've been Jamie Smith and this has been the Known and Ever podcast. Goodbye. It wasn't that, you know, they got a biscuit. Uh, I've just read some a notification and wanted to say biscuit. Uh, <laughs> Favourite biscuits up next. Bloody Twitter. Um, <laughs> Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered. By fans.